How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Dead Jester Productions podcast, episode number 186. I'm your host, Josh or J. Mosker, special guest this week. She's worked with some of the top names in the entrepreneurial world, including Jonathan Fields, Todd Herman, Shaw Osmond, Marsha Shandor, and Mara Glatzel, as well as influencers, brick and mortar businesses, and nonprofits around the world in 21 plus countries. Please welcome Rachel Allen. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. That was a lovely, lovely intro. Thank you. I, I'm sure I, I butchered some of those names and I, I feel terrible yeah. about it. No, they were good. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you stopping by, taking the time. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm excited to chat. Awesome. So why don't you tell people a little bit about what Bolt from the Blue actually is and what you do? Yeah, well, we're a uh, full service copywriting agency. So that means we do everything from you know, the really big branding conversations and fractional CMO work all the way right down to like, please post on Instagram for me because I don't want to. So <laughs> we've worked with um, people, you know, all over the world. We've had clients in industries ranging from accounting to astrology, which sounds like a joke, but is actually true. And uh, what it really boils down to is we make words make money. Nice. Nice. What, what made you decide that this is, you know, where your interests had gone? You know, a lot of people start off in one spot and kind of meander around, but like, is this something that stuck out to you? You thought copywriting, creating content in general, was that something that stood out to you in particular? You know, I didn't even know what copywriting was until the day before I started doing it. Um, I had no idea. I never planned to get into this industry um, or like any kind of business at all. My big life plan is I was going to be a journalist. So that's what I got my bachelor's in. Um, you know, I did the whole thing, interned at NPR, was like ready to go. And then I graduated into the 2008 recession and the bottom dropped right out of that. Fun. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a party. So, um, I sent out 200 resumes and the only job I could get was unpacking boxes in the old Navy warehouse with like, you know, a bunch of other humanities grads. And mm. I did that for about six months and was like, you know, I, this is not what I want to be doing. Um, so I made this really, at the time, it didn't feel like a big decision because, you know, I'm 22 and that it just feels like the natural thing to do. But I was like, you know what? I bet they have jobs in Hong Kong because that was the furthest away that I could conceive of from being in Tennessee, which is where I was living. Mm-hmm. And uh, it turns out they do have jobs in Hong Kong, but you need this pain in the ass piece of paper called a work visa, which I did not get before I left and got on the plane and moved there. So... I landed with about $200 in my bank account and I had to make rent. And so I started Googling like how to make money online because, you know, 2008 and that's what you do. Yeah. And I uh, people still have to do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're going through a really interesting, um, I was just writing about this actually. We're going through an interesting sort of cycle. Um, so I'm seeing a lot of 2008 vibes in the industry. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I just, I found some freelance stuff and I was like, well, I don't know what this copywriting thing is, but I bet I can figure it out. And I gave it a try and ended up really, uh, enjoying it. And now 15 years later, here I am running an agency doing it. Nice. Nice. How did, so how did you get into the actual copywriting? Did you just start writing and realize, oh, it just comes naturally sort of a, a feel to it? Yeah, it was a little bit of that. And it was, um, I, I read a lot of blogs about it and I looked at a bunch of different marketing courses and I started to try to get really strategic about, like I, I had always had a talent for writing, but I had never really done writing to sell anything. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So I tried to really get an understanding of what makes writing actually effective. And, um, and over the years that I kind of developed, um, a methodology for it. But in the beginning, it was just really a lot of absorbing anything I could possibly read on it and then trying to really understand why writing works when it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I noticed like even going over the website, a lot of it feels a lot more conversational as opposed to here's the information, read over it, explaining what it is. I find mm-hmm. that's a bit more attention grabbing and uh, enjoyable to to read as opposed to like I said the the alternative. Yeah, I think uh, I I think I didn't realize until I had been doing this for a couple of years. But when I it, everything I approach in my marketing, whether it's for myself or my clients, has this really human centered mm-hmm. focus because you know we're humans. That's what we respond to. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, people maybe they they have they find that difficult or they get trained out of it or there's some other reason that they they feel like they need to come across as so called professional. When really, you know, we know what we respond to. You know, you respond better to a conversation than to a, a brochure. So, why not go with the conversation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I like I said it. When I first went to the website, that was one of the first things that stood out to me. Because, like I said, there are so many websites where you'll go to it and it is just basically bullet points, but in a paragraph format. Where it's just <laughs> this is the one thing we do. Here's another thing, and it explains what it is. Whereas in yours, it's it's obviously a bit more conversational and obviously has the same amount of information in there. But it, like I said, I felt it's a bit more easy to uh, to take in as opposed to a wall of words. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that makes me really happy. I'm glad I came across that way. <laughs> so what, you start doing the copywriting. How do you grow that then? Like how do you change that from just a freelance sort of work to here's an actual business. And now I'm expanding in that regard. Like, how did you go about doing that? Um, again, kind of backwards. I, when I started doing the, the copywriting stuff, um, to begin with, I was like, Oh, this is just going to be my side gig, right? Like, it's just gonna be my side gig until I can get my job in journalism and go for this future that I've been working towards Mm -hmm. for so long. And then somehow like three or four years passed, I'm still doing my so-called side gig. And I was like, oh, this is like, this is really bad. I need to figure out how to, how to get back into the real job market and like put this aside. And um, I had this sort of epiphany over a summer where I was at the time I was living on a, uh, on a beach in Greece. And, you know, from the outside, it was the entrepreneurial dream. I would work in the mornings and like sunbathe on the beach in the afternoons. And I was panicked like the entire time because I was like, Oh no, this is bad. Like, this is bad. I can't possibly do this. There's some, it's not, it's not the plan (laughs) (laughs) to, uh, to soothe myself. I was like, you know what I need to do is get a master's degree. So I did that in an, in uh, international relations, which I've never used since except for some of the, the researching type stuff. But, uh, it was during that year where I was like, okay, you know what? Like, I think I'm going to give this a real, a real try as an actual business. And I started doing that. And um, so then I uh, started getting some business coaching and had to take it a little more seriously um, and, and really try to learn the business side of running a business as opposed to just being really, really good at writing. Yeah. Yeah, You mentioned things not being like going according to like how you had planned. Uh, it is interesting watching how different people react to 
different strategies to grow themselves or like their career path, things like that. Like I know I'm very much a, eh, let's just see what happens sort of a person where on a whim, I will try something new. Uh, you know, just, I'll put my full attention, focus, effort into a specific project just to see if it'll work because I think yeah, there's an opportunity. Mm. Uh, whereas like, I know my girlfriend is one of those people where, oh, this is something even remotely different in the tiniest bit. I can't do that. It's, <laughs> you know, it's unnerving a little bit. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting to see. I don't know if you had similar, uh, you know, feeling to it where as you were maybe focusing more on the, the copywriting side of things, if it felt a bit more natural and easy to digest after a while, as opposed to feeling like you were kind of going off the rails. Yeah, it did. I think, I think after I made that decision and kind of had that culmination of like, okay, I can't, I can't keep putting a, trying to put a foot in both camps here. Mm-hmm. When I finally made the commitment to going for it, then it felt really easy and really exciting. And I think a large part of that, honestly, was just kind of coming to terms with myself and, um, and trusting myself to take that leap because I had been doing this for, you know, successfully for the past couple of years, it was just really acknowledging that that was what was happening and being like, well, maybe, maybe this wasn't a big accident. Maybe I've actually been doing this for three years and there's (laughs) something here. Yeah. So was there a specific point where you decided, all right, I'm going to make this into a a business. Was there a specific like moment that happened or a specific job you were working on that made you realize I should make this a business? Yeah, there were two things that happened. So the first was that I finished my master's degree and then my advisor um, wanted me to stay on and do a PhD. And I was like, oh, PhD, that sounds sexy. Like Dr. Rachel Allen, I really like the sound of that. That's cool. And then at the same time, I was like, ah, but I don't know that I actually, like, I, I want the title, but doing all the work, and I don't know that I care this much about this subject. And I, like, I've seen people go through PhDs, and I know the level of devotion it takes to a subject to, to do that. And mm-hmm. I just did not have that for international relations. So I was like, well, I'm not going to, like, try and fake my way through three years of, like, micro research in a tiny niche of international relations. And the business was going well and I was starting, I was getting repeat customers, but I was also doing a lot of work that like, it was fine, but it was, you know, it's the standard like marketing content mill stuff, like writing uh, descriptions for luxury chateau and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, well, I know I don't want to do a PhD and I definitely don't want to get into the, like a job where I have to go outside and wear outside clothes every day. So I guess I got to figure out this business thing. And if I'm going to do that, I definitely know I don't want to be writing real estate listings for the rest of the time. (laughs) So we got to figure this out. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine, like, I went to college for a bit. I didn't graduate. I realized very quickly, I was like, I just can't be tethered down doing something like this all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I just immediately went to the, you know, it went and got a, a job. And from there, I just worked my my way up. Um, I know a lot of people feel like coming straight out of like high school or even college, a lot of them will will think, all right, I have no experience. You know, maybe they're nervous going into interviews or they don't even apply to places uh, because they, you know, they feel like they're not going to get it. I was the exact opposite. You know, I, I applied at a university. Uh, I After I, I left college, I went to a, a, a job working as like a, at a grocery store as a manager. 
Mm-hmm. I was like, all right, I could probably get a job at a university. How hard could it be? Right. I, I got in as like a was in charge of like purchasing and uh, at, at a local university. I was like, cool. It was like the youngest guy there. I'm like 21. I think it was 20 or 21 at the time. Everyone around me is in like their 40s and 50s. I was like, this is out of place. Went from there to, to working as a uh, advertising sales rep. And I was like, a lot of people like that I went to school with were confused. Like, how did you do this without going to school? I think a lot of it is like confidence based mm. for people. Uh, it seems like you're you're very confident as well, being able to just say I can do this, putting your mind to it. Like you said, getting you know going back to school, just deciding yeah I'll just go back to school and do that. I know so many people that would be like this is a huge insurmountable task, <laughs> especially being surrounded by people that have spent tons of time in school. Uh, yeah. I have like my family, like my my aunts all have my one aunt has I think two masters and a doctorate. Oh wow! Um, how long are you going to spend in school? realistically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love, like, I love school. Academics is fun, but this just Mm. a lot, but I, (laughs) I also, um, I think we've got a similar journey in that you're like, I mean, I don't know, I guess I could do it. How hard could it be? And I think that's one of the most important skills that people can, can develop. Cause I've had people ask me like over the years, like, Oh my God, how did you move to Hong Kong and do this? And I'm like, well, I bought a ticket and then I got on the plane. Like, that's how it happened. And I, if I, you know, if I had known the entire journey that I would have gone through, I don't know, maybe I would have done something different, but I was 22 and I didn't know any better. And you just kind of figure it out as you go. Yeah. Yeah. And I get it too, for like in in a lot of instances where it's nerve wracking to make that jump and just say, I'm going for it. Like in your case, I'm just going to leave. I'm going to go get a job somewhere else. Uh, I'm just going to, go for it. I can understand like people being worried, like, well, what if it fails? Then I have nothing to, to bank on. Mm. But I think, to, and maybe you're different about it in this way, but like, I always just have the mindset of like, well, of course I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to be working on it. So of course it's going to succeed. Not to be like, <laughs> not, not like, not like in an yeah. arrogant way, but just like, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to allow it to fail. I'm yeah. going to give this all the attention and time and effort it deserves. Of course it's going to succeed. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I have like a a dichotomy there because I do have the like, well, of course, like I'm going to, of course it's going to succeed. And then I think I have this driving anxiety in me of like, oh my God, but what if it doesn't? I got to work really like extra hard Mm. just to make sure. Man, I don't know. Like I was always that mindset of like, it doesn't matter how many hours, like it would have been close to 10 years ago at this point. Oh no, maybe like eight years ago. I remember working like, 80 hours a week at least yeah. for like 11 or you know 10 or 11 months in a row and then I took some like time off in the sense of like I was working like 50 hours a week yeah. for a few months and <laughs> then it's cool. it's right back to the grind yeah I'm like I and I know like my girlfriend gets annoyed but I keep like reinforcing the idea of like yeah but like I'm I'm working hard now making extra money like it's worth it it's gonna pay off as opposed to putting in like the minimum and just getting by or something, you know, having, you know, like in your case, you have the business to show for it. I have like all of my work and, you know, the house and everything like that to show for it. Mm. Why would I be annoyed at having worked all that extra now that I have so much more than I would have if I didn't work all the, all that extra, you know, time and effort? Oh, absolutely. 
And I think that's something I only really ever realized in retrospect, because like I, it was just very natural to me, like, well, I'm starting this business. Of course, I'm going to be working all the time. Like that's, that's how this works. Right. Mm-hmm. And work is like, I, I've always uh, just found it very easy. Like it's so much easier for me to be at work than to do anything else. I just always want something to do. So I would do this and, you know, see the benefits of it. And I was also um, nomadic for about 10 years. So like, I didn't really have like the possession stuff to show for it, Mm -hmm. but it was only after I was like, okay, you know, I guess it's time to, you know, I want to chill and I want to be in the same place for a little while and being able to move in to having that stability and uh, having it at a higher level than people who may have like worked a more linear career path. That was boggling to me because I'm like, how, how, like I absolutely worked myself about half to death for about three years. And then I've been able to compound on that. And I don't work nearly as hard now, but like you said, if you put that investment in, and I'm so glad I did it when I was in my early twenties, when I had all this energy to burn Mm -hmm. and didn't know better, like I did that. And that's definitely changed my, my life trajectory. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it's, it, obviously people are going to be interested in different things as far as like results wise, you know, like for me, it was having like the house and like the stability of, I have somewhere to stay. I don't have to worry about like the bottom falling out and you know, what am I going to do now? Uh, like even in, like I said before, I'm very much a spur of the moment as far as like, I'll go for this. Uh, you know, this could be a project I can work on or, you know, Oh, I can try this out and see how this works out. I'm very much that way, but I'm also putting that into like a long-term plan, mm-hmm. which I feel like gets skipped over in, in some aspects when I'm talking to people. Uh, oh, yeah. Because like I said, it's, it is like, I have it pl- planned out. Like I know I, if I work this much, this is how much I need. I'm going to save every single penny and I'll be able to buy this house. And I know I can guesstimate in this you know span of time, it'll probably be worth this amount. Uh, obviously things have gone up and down the last like three or four years. <laughs> Just a little. Is, it's actually benefited me quite a bit. So I can't mm-hmm. complain in that <laughs> regard, uh, housing wise at least, but it's paid off. And like I said, like it's always been about how do I make it so I don't have to work for somebody else? Yeah. Cause that was my biggest like headache of, all right, this person needs me to do something. Now I have to do that. Mm. I just can't be bothered. I, why would I care about making you money? You know? <laughs> so yeah, like my long-term plan has always been self-employment, mm-hmm. make it set myself up for, for long-term success. Even if it means, you know, doing really odd kind of off the wall things I have no experience in, which is, we were talking very briefly before the show about just spending so much time finding new programs to use and, you know, always trying to find new skills and, and tool sets to, to apply and just that's, that's my thing it's just always trying to educate myself mm-hmm. and i think that what you brought up there about the strategy and the long-term goal like that's what ties all the random together and i think that you're right like a lot of people don't talk about that and especially if you're looking at you know all the hustle culture courses of like the, the four-hour work week or whatever the hell it is now mm-hmm. where the whole thing is just like grow and hustle and i'm like okay but why like yeah. I will totally do that. I will hustle myself right into the ground, but only if it's to an end that I actually want and if it gets me where I want to go. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just competitive masochism. 
it is it is interesting to see like culture wise where and this could just be from my perspective based on like how i'm viewing the internet or whatever but it is interesting seeing like all these people talking about like oh i'm i'm putting all this work in like i'm an quote unquote like entrepreneur i'm a you know a digital entrepreneur or something like that but then i look and i see that they're still like working for you know they're working some quote unquote dead end job but they're just posting a lot on social media yeah and it, it, there's a lot of cases where it's more fake it till you make it but they're not trying to make it really <laughs> yeah it's like a weird clout thing i think sometimes mm-hmm. where they're like oh but i want to be like a social media influencer and I'm like, i cannot conceive of a life that i want less than that why would you why would you like cosplay that as your online persona when yeah. you have something else in your real life if that's what you wanted yeah it's it's kind of been a running theme the last like month or so of episodes we've done here has been uh, like self-awareness and self-accountability sort of and running running bit on the show is is me talking about my sister and she's exactly one of those people where she sees you know people on tiktok instagram wherever and she tries to recreate that for herself mm. and it's so bizarre to me I'm like why would you not want to be your own person doing your own interesting things yeah so much know. work to like <laughs> try and do that kind of i mean like you could you could maybe just about get away with that kind of personal brand stuff in i don't know five ten years ago but mm-hmm. now the conversation is just moving so fast online that like trying to keep up with that trends i cannot even imagine how exhausting that would be yeah i kind of bring, I, I wanted to bring that back to, to what you do how do you keep up with like trends like that and social media i know you, you mentioned like writing out Instagram posts for people, even mm-hmm. like website design. How do you keep up with those trends? Is it just spending a bunch of time online like viewing it? Yeah, I think it's um, it. part of it is just like that being the waters that uh, that I swim in. You know, I do spend a lot of time online because of my job. And mm-hmm. then I think just because we all do. But uh, I actually, so I, I do keep abreast of trends, but I also tell my clients very specifically to avoid them, or if they're going to use them, use them mindfully. Mm-hmm. Because I have so many clients who have come to me over the years, and they're like, really, really stirred up about something. And they'll be like, Oh, my God, do I need to be on do, do I need to be on threads? That's the big one right now. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know, do you like, let's talk about that? What would that look like strategically for you? Because there's no, there's no universal thing where everybody needs to be. And when I see people just pour their energy into one thing after another, after another. I'm like, okay, now it's threads. Before that it was reels. Reels was the big, big deal. And then we Mm -hmm. had clubhouse. And then before that it was Periscope and people spent hours learning how to be on Periscope. And I'm like, did that really pay off for you in the end? (laughs) No, maybe no, no Periscope influencers out there. So I I'm like, okay, what is this actually going to do for your business? How are you going to know if it's working? So yeah, I think it's a mix of being aware of what's going on and also having, I guess, a strategic through line uh, mm-hmm. that I can show to people and be like, great, we'll make your website look like the the latest whatever if you can give me a really good reason why. Otherwise, we're all just wasting our time here. Yeah. I This hasn't happened a ton to me, but I was curious if you've had clients reach out and ask for input on trends that are definitely out of date. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we had we had one it's like a week or two ago. Uh, they reached out because they wanted to get like started on uh, TikTok. Mm. I was like, TikTok's not dead by any means. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but 
I was like, man, you are very much late to the game with this one. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. A, no, I'm waiting for someone right. to ask me about getting started on like the ALS ice bucket challenge or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yep. I've had a couple of people um, recently be like, I've heard about this TikTok thing. Do you think maybe I should get started? I've heard it's a new market. And I'm like, oof, oof. not a new market. Maybe. Yeah. Also, you're a lawyer. Are you sure that is the image you want to present to your clients? It could be, you know, we can do things, but yeah. But yeah, I've had that. And then um, the other one, which is, uh, I think I should start a YouTube channel. I hear there's a lot of room for growth on YouTube. I'm like, well, again, kind of, but not the way you're thinking. It takes a lot of work to yeah. grow a YouTube channel. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people I work with do like, it's, it's mainly like YouTube podcasts and then like instagram for the most part Mm -hmm. Uh, we got like twitch streamers as well uh but yeah youtube and so many people are like i'll tell them like here's the basics of it this is not gonna make your channel blow up or anything but this is like the bare minimum you have to do to even get started and they're like oh my gosh that seems like a lot i'm like well then i don't know what you're doing here if this (laughs) is if you're here because you want to make it like a you know have your channel grow and be successful and you're worried about the bare minimum i I don't know what you were expecting. It's not easy for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. It's not easy for a reason. I think I need that on a t-shirt that I can just show the clients and be like, just read it. Just read it. Yeah. I just wrote a um, long sort of think piece about what I'm seeing in the entrepreneur world right now. And one of the things, because I'm, I'm seeing people, they're either having the worst summer of their entire business where they haven't had clients for months, or they're just absolutely raking it in. And so I was like, okay, like what's happening here? And the thing that I'm seeing is that the craftsmanship is what's really showing through. So it's the people who have showed up again and again and done the work and not chase the trends and done the, you know, business version of doing your laundry and keeping on top of your dishes, all that boring stuff. And that's, what's keeping them going. Hmm. You have a client that's a, they have a wood shop where they make like custom wood furniture. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was like, so what kind of like, you know, what's your plan? Like what kind of content are you, they're trying to get started like, uh, like TikTok and, and, uh, Facebook and they're doing like YouTube shorts is what they're looking to do. Mm -hmm. I was like, so what are you actually trying to do? Like, and they do like epoxy tables, for example. Uh, and epoxy is very much like a a current trend in, in tables. So we'll see how that, this pans out for them. Uh, but I was like, so what are you doing? Like, yeah, you know, we, we just, we're thinking like there's this one particular company that's very successful. I forget. They had like millions of followers on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're like, yeah, we're just kind of trying to see what they do and mimic it because, you know, if that's successful for them, I don't see why it wouldn't be successful for us. We oh, do the exact cool. same thing they do. I'm like, well, that's not really why would people, and I use this a lot for on like YouTube or any content platform. I'm like, why would people watch you when there's already a very successful person doing it? I'd like, the top of the game yeah you know, like why wouldn't why wouldn't they watch the best at this and settle for someone else yours yeah. might be just as good but why there's already somebody doing it you know at the best exactly and i mean if you're going to do that at least be the anti them you know don't try to be yeah. the the second best of anybody mm-hmm. yeah it, uh, you see it on youtube a lot depending on you know the content you know so many people with the motivational style speaking they're edited the exact same way Mm -hmm. Uh, you know thumbnails are the same way you have uh, people that try and do uh, content for like you know younger generations will copy like mr beast he's the biggest youtuber there is right now 
they were copying his thumbnails, his content style, like the mannerisms and everything, the title, like just copying every little bit of it. And they wonder why they're not more successful. Yeah. If you copy them, you're going to come up with the exact same results. So they're going to click on the guy that's, you know, the biggest and best one over you every time. Yeah. Oh my God. Exactly. Why would you put yourself in the same room as the competition? Yeah. Unless unless you're better somehow. Which is not. That's that's unlikely if considering copying everything. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Something I say to my clients all the time when they're in that situation is why would you want to put yourself in an arms race with Coca-Cola? Like you are never going to have the marketing budget to be the loudest and the biggest on the Mm -hmm. internet. So you have to go with the one asset you have, which is you doing your thing really, really well the way you do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a perfect way to explain it too. Like, especially for, you know, startups Mm -hmm. trying to like make it big on a specific scene. Like I'll use the epoxy again, for example. If you, if you make an epoxy table, there are so many companies doing it. You're all vying for like Google search results. The biggest company is going to win that out every single time. They have the budget to do it. You're yeah. not going to you're not going to beat them. You have to be better at them in one category, start from there and then build up around that. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. It's a matter of expanding at a pace in which you can handle it. It's you know, that was an issue I ran into very early on with with our brand was when we launched, we had like, if I feel stupid because I don't remember the exact day we did. I'll say January 20th of 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I we launched with the podcast. We had our website up and going. We had merchandise. We had our YouTube, you know, social media channels. I had everything at once and I tried managing it all at once. Oh. And I started it at the exact same time. Excellent. And very quickly, I realized I'd spread myself way too thin way too quickly and a lot of it was managing growth at a reasonable pace and not throwing myself into the deep end 20 feet under the water (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if you had a similar experience with with what you've been working on if you made the leap into you know the business from bolt from the blue and then had to really temper your own ideas maybe to keep yourself from (laughs) burdening yourself too much with too much work at once well i think that's the challenge with I think maybe anybody who gets into this or anybody who definitely has that, that personality, like what we've been talking about of like, well, of course I'm going to figure it out because Mm -hmm. when I have an idea that I'm like, well, yeah, of course. I mean, I could do a website and a podcast and a whatever and a blah, 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 and a blah, blah, blah. So I've definitely had times over the years and where I've had to be really intentional of like, okay, what is this actually doing for me? And the question that I have to ask myself is one, does it actually meet a defined strategic end? Mm -hmm. And if I'm like, I don't know, then that's either a problem with my strategy because I haven't thought about this or there's a problem with what I'm doing because it doesn't align with the strategy. And then the really like sticky question I have to ask myself is like, am I just doing this because I think it's going to make me look good or feel good? Yeah. And if that's the case, then I'm like, oh man, maybe, maybe it's time to put that one on the back burner. But I have a, uh, a dashboard on my Notion actually called Parking Lot for Rabbits. And so any of those ideas, like if I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, I'll put it in the parking lot for rabbits. And then I check it every week to be like, okay, can I take that rabbit out? Oh, not yet. Okay. But yeah, I've definitely had that happen. And that's how I, that's how I've learned the hard way to handle it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like I said before, like working on our new website, it's been like such a breath of fresh air. I know you, you saw the, 
the old website when you were mm-hmm. reaching out and everything like that. And like I said, going back to that one, like viewing that while updating the new one, it is it makes me feel disgusted on the inside seeing like, oh, this is so cluttered. This is just, there's so much stuff. It's just so much nothing all over the site. Yeah. Whereas the new one is literally like centered around two things. It's so uh, much nicer. By the time this episode's out, people will be able to see it. Oh, that's but sick. yeah, just, I, I don't know how many times you've like, have you refreshed your website? Like how many times like you've really redesigned it maybe and just keeping things fresh. So I've had like two major rebrands and the one that I, mm-hmm. so like the way my site is now is the, the, the second major rebrand, but I'm always kind of tinkering with it and yeah. looking for place ways that I can make it. Um, how would I describe that? Basically looking for ways that I can share as little as possible, but no less mm-hmm. um, so that the information gets across. But yeah, I think that ha- like you're talking about making sure there's just a whole lot of nothing on the page is the most important mm-hmm. thing because it's so easy to do. It's so mm-hmm. much harder to really get to the core of what the important, the really and truly important message is. Like even with our uh, our headline, we make words make money. That only came mm-hmm. to me after I think 11, 12 years of doing this, you know? So yeah. it's beautiful and pithy, but it took a long time to finally get it all the way down to that. Yeah, it, like I said, it just making the most of of a little is is mm-hmm. super useful to me. Where mm-hmm. it, you're making a what, what am I trying to say here? You're putting the most value into every every single sentence, as opposed to like I said, just fluff pieces for yourself almost. And uh, that was something I really brought into focus. I'm looking at my old the old version of the website right now, and going back, I re- it's actually not as bad as I thought. It still annoys me. But yeah, some of these pages, it's like paragraphs and paragraphs of information. Mm-hmm. And it's just, oh my God, that's terrible. <laughs> it's easy to do though. And it's especially hard to edit your own stuff with that because you're like, ah, oh, mm-hmm. but like this really is important. And and that's what I see. I mean, it's super hard for me to do my own stuff. And I see it with clients too, where I can come in and be like, nope, take that away. Nope, that paragraph doesn't do anything. That sentence isn't yeah. pulling its weight. And they're like, ah, but I'm like, it's it's just so much easier from the outside to really get that clear idea of what needs to stay and what's actually bringing value and what's just there kind of is like an, uh, a verbal comfort blanket. Yeah. It's very easy for someone who's quote unquote, like in the know for what you're trying to explain to people mm-hmm. to just, you're putting out so much information like, oh, maybe this will help them. Oh, maybe this will. And you just keep piling it all on when in reality, like one or two things would be like, oh, that clicks. Now I figured it out. Thank you. Yeah, I didn't need all the rest of this. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. signal to noise ratio is really important. With <laughs> everything, but especially copy. <laughs> yeah, and I I find like one of the biggest like hurdles I face is I am and maybe you're in the same boat. I don't know, but like I've completely self taught. Like every you know program I use, every bit of information I you know I I bring to the the table, it's all self taught. And so I don't have a lot of the the keywords or the, uh, you know, the specific dialogue that a lot of people would use. Mm-hmm. And that's been a hurdle as far as like communicating with people sometimes. Uh, right. Like even like for YouTube in particular, I think YouTube uses tags yeah. instead of keywords. And so like, you know, little verbiage like that can be miscommunicated. And it's my entire, obviously my fault because I'm the one saying it. But like stuff like that is is the biggest hurdle I face a lot of times because... I, I don't have the professional vocabulary that other people would. Mm-hmm. I, 
even if I know what I'm talking about, uh, which is not all the time, obviously. <laughs> uh, but even if I do know what I'm talking about, sometimes I struggle to get it across because it's just, I'm wording it in a different way than people are used to hearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I resonate so hard with that. I am completely self-taught with marketing. Like journalism mm-hmm. doesn't teach you about marketing terms and international relations sure shit doesn't. So all of my stuff was from Googling and spending time online and just seeing how other people talked about things. But um, I remember in my, my very first sales call with like a, a for realsies client, mm-hmm. I was on a Skype call. They call them for realsies. That's fantastic. Oh, I know. Yeah. She was, she was. <laughs> <laughs> so I was on a Skype call with this person. Cause that's like how long ago this was. And thankfully we didn't have the video on because she's throwing all of these acronyms at me. And she's like, yeah, you know, our CMO has been working on some nurture campaigns. Do you think that maybe you could help us with an onboarding nurture campaign with something, something, da, da, da. And I'm like literally Googling what is nurture campaign and be like, yes, yeah, so, uh-huh. Mm-hmm, I'm, I'm on it. Because yeah. <laughs> I knew I was like, okay, well, it's, it's a bunch of emails in a line and it does a thing. I can figure that out. <laughs> but it's I also know. been a, a I don't know, not a struggle, but it's held me back at sometimes because there's stuff that I do, like you said, that I don't have the words for it like other other people. So mm-hmm. for a billion years, I would tell clients like, hey, I can help you out with modular content because I was yeah. like, well, all content can be shifted around and moved in different ways. And I didn't realize people, what people normally call that is syndicated content. They're like, oh, we need content mm-hmm. syndication. So when I finally figured out that I was like, yes, I do this. I've been doing this for years. I just call it something different. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it is interesting. Like I said, I, I had a similar experience as far as like, you know, you, you were looking up stuff on the fly. I had, a, I had applied for a job after, I, while I was at the university, I was applying for a job and it was for like a digital marketing manager. And I had really no experience in marketing at the time, mm-hmm. but I was like, I'm sure I'll figure it out. Yeah. And they, uh, I went in for the interview. They talked to me. The guy was like, oh yeah, no, I think, I think you're a good fit, whatever. I'll let you know. And they hired me and I was excited. I was like, cool. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm a tech sort of guy. I'm not like, you know, building PCs and stuff like that or coding, but which I've had to learn a little bit, yeah. but I, that wasn't my background. I was like, but yeah, no, I'll, I'll figure it out. And they hired me and I go in and it's like, all right, so yeah, you'll take over for this person and they're going to move into that position. And I realized that they'd hired me for a different position oh. and it was very strange, caught me off guard and it turned out that was like a, a sales position for advertising. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is not what I expected, but I'll, I'll figure this out as well. And that's what I did. Uh, like day one, I was out on, he, the, the my manager at the time was like, yeah, I got him. He's like, I'm covering for this territory. Uh, I'll have you come out on the road with me so you can see how it's done. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and he went out on the road. He just gave me some tips. He's like, all right, well, good luck. I, you know, I've got to take care of this. You'll just, just go out and, talk to people and see how it goes. I'm like, awesome. okay. <laughs> and that's, that's literally what I did. I just went out. I had no like sales experience. I had, you know, I've experienced talking to like people at the university and like professors and stuff coming in. Yeah. But that's very different from trying to sell someone a product. Oh yeah. Like, so I just went into it thinking, whatever, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. And it, uh, it worked out. I did that for almost five years before oh. uh, switching to what I do now which is just more marketing. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Just kind of being like, well, I mean, it's a conversation. What's the worst that can happen? I, I've always had this mindset of like, there are so many instances where people are just so worried about 
Yeah. Like failure. It's like talking to people about like asking somebody out when you're in high school or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Or it's like they're panicked. Like, Oh, what if this happens? What if I get made fun of? Or I was like, they'll probably just say no worst case scenario. Like it's, it's when you're at a certain age, it's awkward for everyone involved to go up and ask somebody out or, yeah. you know, be asked out. Nobody's super familiar with that. And, uh, being told like, yeah, they'll probably at the worst, they'll just say no. And even then, like, I've always had the mindset of like, wh- who cares? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like being self-centered or uh, self, very self-conscious. Like, oh, you know, do I look funny? This or that? Or like, are people looking at me for this? Everyone in high school is having those exact same thoughts. Yeah, it, It's not, it's not just, you know, me or you or anyone. It's everyone is. So the idea that like everyone is constantly paying attention to me or whatever, there's no reason for it. And so I just ignored it. Yeah. And, uh, that's helped me a lot. That's but, yeah. I was, uh, I actually, one of my early clients was a networking expert and that was the best piece of advice she gave to people. She, uh, it was a quote and I can't remember the exact quote, but it was from a book she had read. And, and she was talking about somebody walking into a party and this person realized that every single person is paying as much attention to themselves as she's paying attention to herself and nobody mm-hmm. else is looking at everybody else. So it's just like, yeah, like you, you are the center of your own universe, but thankfully not the center of anybody else's. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, like I said, the, the, as far as like podcasting advice I've ever gotten, the best advice I got, which was pretty obvious. I, I feel like in hindsight, but I just never bothered was like, what's the best way to get an interview with somebody? And it's like, just ask them. Yeah. It's like the worst yeah. case scenario is I'll say no or just not respond. Yeah. They're it, not there's no harm in it. on fire. Like nothing's, yeah. nothing's going to happen. Yeah. No, I was going to get offended. <laughs> How dare you ask me to interview Please, you on my you. free podcast. Wasting my time. What? <laughs> yeah. I was in a uh, podcast like pitching group where a bunch of people wanted to get together and do a work hour pitching podcast. And a lot of them were like, oh i don't know like i kind of feel awkward like at pitching podcast like can i really and i'm like what like what is going to happen are they going to reach through the computer and strangle you like just yeah. send an email no one cares man yeah it, i mean it's like anything with like when i was in sales for example like outreach in general just cold calls mm. people get nervous like oh man you know i don't want to make a bad impression or i don't know it's like you sitting here worrying about it is not helping you at all like yeah. You're not making any sales by not reaching out to people. Just like, I don't know how many like templates I put together for people. Like this is generic. It's whatever. Just send this out. You'll be good. It's just asking them for 10 minutes of their time. Easy peasy. That and follow up. Like that's the, that's the big secret that I tell people. And like send the, send the template email and then follow up two or three times. The end. Yeah. 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 That's what I, I would I would send an email out, call like right afterwards mm-hmm. uh, and, and say, like, oh, I sent you an email with some information if you're interested or whatever. Um, I, most of my work at the time in sales was door to door because we had like, oh yeah, we worked like 20 minutes away from like my territory. Mm-hmm. And so I would literally just, I'd park downtown, walk up and down the, the, the street and then go, all right, going to move to the other side of town, re- rinse and repeat, go to the next town over, whatever. Nice. And it's just, yeah, it's door to door. I got... <laughs> Even if I failed and didn't make sales, it was entertaining walking into each business. They knew who I was. We'd chat. I'd be like, all right, you interested in anything? And they'd be like, absolutely not. It was good to see you. you know, I, yeah. yeah it, 
it is interesting. I know people say all the time, like networking, how important it is. Um, but it goes beyond just here's how, like, here's how you can make a sale with this person, or here's how you can work with this person. Mm. And networking can also help with like, Hey, I'm not really interested in working with you, but this person might be interested. And I feel like people are, uh, sometimes, you know, a little nervous to, to take those first steps, even if they don't see beyond that first, you know, branch of the tree reaching out, Mm -hmm. it could, uh, extend further perhaps. Yeah. I think people get overly strategic with it sometimes where they're like, well, Mm -hmm. I need to, I need to figure out who I'm going to network with to reach XYZ specific goal. And I'm like, I mean, my very best networking has been, I was saying something dumb to somebody on Twitter and talking and making a joke. And then it ended up that they had a business and then we ended up, you know, it branches out from there. So it's Mm -hmm. been none of my strategic outreach has led to some sort of massive success, but just getting to know people and finding those people that you really resonate with, that makes all the difference because then they actually want to spend time with you and recommend you to their friends and their colleagues and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. Getting to know people is the main point of networking. Like just having like a a quote unquote professional relationship as far as like, you know, contacting them and having like doing business between each other is one thing, but like, uh, actually getting to know the person could be so much more, you know, uh, productive in the sense, and it sounds like very cold and robotic to say it that way, but it could be way more useful in the sense of like, yeah, they're, they'll open up more. They'll be more willing to go out on a limb and and help you out or whatever. Oh yeah. And you know, that's what I do a lot of times too. I mean, with, with what we do for, you know, like the, the marketing side of stuff for, you know, content creators is, you know, here's a basic, you know, plan to get you started, you know, a beginner's guide, what have you, this will get you, you know, ground floor. Uh, we'll do this, you know, perfectly free, Yeah. but if you're interested in doing more, we're also here for that too. And mm-hmm. having that, extending that olive branch has always been super useful as far as, you know, getting in on a, a good foot as opposed to, Hey, give me money. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the generosity is such a huge part of that. Cause like people have, mm-hmm always been really surprised when like when I whenever I teach workshops I do free reviews of any of the things that people write in my workshop so like if I teach them how to write a sales page and they write a sales page then I'll do like a three minute loom looking over their page and being like hey here's how you tweak that you know and people have been like how could you give away that much value and I'm like it takes three minutes out of my day (laughs) they're gonna come back to me and be like wow I've had my page reviewed by a real live copywriter and they're gonna feel great and then they're gonna recommend me to all of their friends because they know that I'm I'm gonna do right by them like I said, getting that good first impression has always been incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like I said, it, the first impression for me, especially with, you know, being disconnected, like online with people, you know, if, if someone comes to my website and the first thing they see is like, Hey, give me money. They're immediately going to click off. That's not why they're there. They're yeah. looking for help or whatever for, or whatever it is they're looking for on the website. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've always wanted to make like the best first impression I can. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It, I don't know. There's, there's so much that goes into it and yet it's very easy to be as minimalistic as possible. It's uh, very contrasting. I had a couple yeah. more things I wanted to ask you about here too, but before we do, I've got a couple of sponsors to, to give a quick shout out to. Excellent. Uh, so today's show brought to you once again by liquid IV. Uh, as you guys know, been, uh, been working out, getting back in shape since, since COVID and everything like that. 
And part of that has been drinking all my water. I do my 30 mile bike ride every day. So I get a bit thirsty and uh, liquid IV has been great. I've been using them since, I don't know, what, it's been a month and a half, two months now, maybe. Uh, pour the pour it into 60 ounces of water. It's good to go. With just one stick, you get five essential vitamins and two times faster hydration than water alone. Use it first thing in the morning before a workout. When you feel run down, after a long night out, whatever, on long flights, uh, you know, if that's what you're into drinking on, on long flights, by all means. Uh, but yeah, it's it's been great. I, like I said, I literally drink it every day. I've been drinking the sugar-free white peach. I also have the strawberry lemonade I tried out for water, but uh, sugar-free is probably the way to go since I'm drinking water so much all day, every day. Uh, it's great. Tastes great. I like that it's they have the sugar-free option. Um, like I said, one stick of liquid IV and 16 ounces of water. It hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. It's got five essential vitamins. There's 12 different flavors, three times the electrolytes. It's great stuff. Fantastic. Highly recommend. And you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com. Use code DJP15. Again, that's liquidiv.com. You get 20% off when you use our code DJP15. Uh, It's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code DJP15 at liquidiv.com. Link is in the description along with the code. Highly recommend it. It's very, very affordable. Plus, you get the discount with our code. And it tastes great. Can't recommend it enough. Uh, Again, wouldn't recommend a product if I didn't actually use it. And anytime uh, we go back on stream, upload onto the YouTubes, I'll be sure to show it off. It's it's genuinely a good product. I, I very much enjoy it. So thank you to Liquid IV for sponsoring this show. Today's show is also brought to you by Zencaster. Use Zencaster for every single podcast recording we do. Uh, I recommend it to every every guest we have on that's interested in starting their own podcast or has their own podcast. Uh, it just makes it so much easier as opposed to having to record it locally or using a you know a different software for each person to record their own audio track. It Zencaster makes it so much easier. It's all in one spot. Everyone's audio tracks are recorded uh, separately. You can edit it in Zencaster if you want. Uh, Working with Zencaster, they obviously provide us with potential sponsors, things like that. Their customer service is top-notch. Can't recommend them enough. That is such a huge thing to me is how quickly a business is able to respond to you if you reach out to them with a request or a question, anything like that. Uh, Like I said, I think I I sent them an email and they got back to me within like two or three minutes. Uh, Their response time was fantastic. So thank you so much to them. Um, But yeah, that's why I enjoy Zencaster. They are super easy to work with, super convenient. Um, all you have to do is send out the, you know, the link, you log in on the browser, start recording a high quality podcast right away, record studio quality sound and up to 4k video with your guests. So if you're into video podcasting also have great options there, uh, Zencaster's multi-layered backups ensure you always have your recordings in the highest quality, even this, even if the connection is unstable. So if the call drops, the audio recording is recorded locally, even though it's through the browser, it records it locally, saves it locally uh, until the, the host downloads it. So you don't have to worry about it being broken up or anything. Uh, for example, if you're sitting on the call and maybe someone cuts out or whatever, you can't hear them uh, when you go back to to you know edit the show or whatever. Their audio is all there. You don't have to worry about it. It won't be all robotic and broken up. So Zencaster makes it super easy to, to do that. If you've ever thought about podcasting before and realized that you need a lot of different tools and services, 
don't worry about it. Zencaster's all-in-one podcasting platform allows you to create your podcasts all in one place, distribute it to Spotify, Apple, and all the other places that you can listen to podcasts. Uh, you go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use code DJP15 and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. Again, it's Zencaster.com slash pricing. Use code DJP15 to get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. Once you guys have the same easy experience as I do for all my podcasting and content needs, it's time to share your story. Again, can't recommend Zencaster enough. Like I said, I've used it for every single episode we recorded for almost three years now. They are, it's, it's the best one I've used. I've tried out so many different ones and this is where I've been for years now. Can't recommend Zencaster enough. So thank you to them for sponsoring the show and uh, thank you to Liquid FE as well. Back to our regularly scheduled programming. One of the things I wanted to ask you uh, with the copywriting side of things is how do you go about, I, I, I mean, at least for me in my experience, is if I'm writing quote unquote like generic content, descriptive content for products or anything like that, mm-hmm. it very quickly get into the mindset of like, all right, I'll just borrow from like what I've previously done. Mm it can all kind of sound familiar. How do you go about avoiding that? So I, I first think about like, is this something that I could legit copy and it could sound similar ish because sometimes that's the case, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously I would never plagiarize anything, but if you've got um, things going out in different places, if you've got uh, phrases that maybe you wrote for one client, they didn't end up using, like I Mm -hmm. absolutely reuse that. And I definitely Mm -hmm. reuse content for the same client across different channels because it's, it's good for brand consistency. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, as far as how to kind of break out of that rut where you start writing about one thing and then all of a sudden it sounds like everything else. Uh, I think just being aware that it happens is, is a Mm -hmm. big thing. So, um, I've been working for a couple of companies that are really into AI, of course, this being the the thing of the moment. And so Mm -hmm. moving from talking about AI prospecting into wellness coaching to dramatically different tones. And I can catch myself kind of using the same phrases um, as I move across them. So being aware of it, catching it when it happens. Um, and then I also just, I, I try to really immerse myself in the, the psychographics of the person who's going to be reading whatever I'm doing. And mm-hmm. so I try to think about how they would need to hear it. And then I let that inform how the writing actually comes out. Okay. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can, like I said, it. the times when I've had the most issues has been when it's one client in particular, but it's multiple products that are very similar yeah. in, uh, with what tough. they are. It's very easy for me to be like, all right, uh, you know, here's this. Now I'll move on to the other one where it's just a slight different, it's a different material, maybe the exact same product, different material, but yeah. they want a description. I'm like, how do I make this seem different, even though it's basically the same thing? Yeah. What I usually end up doing uh, after that, that happened once and then I, when I moved on, the thing I usually end up doing is, well, why are you offering this as a separate product? Why not just have one product page, make it a different option in the drop down menu? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, you do I'm that. Like, it gives me the hassle and it makes it look cleaner on your website. So it's not cluttered with a hundred different products. Oh yeah. Gosh, those people who go and like, they'll set up a Shopify website with a separate product category for every single thing they sell. And I'm like, no friend. Yeah. We're going to fix that. It, but People yeah. like customizing as well. Mm-hmm. Like it, I like if I go like I, when I got my desk, 
it being able to go on a website and just build it from scratch, like quote unquote, build it from scratch and be like, yeah. all right, this is how long I want it with the shape and everything like that material. Having that all on one page, I was like, this is so much better than clicking through every different page on a website. So yeah. I find the exact one I want. Yeah. Nobody wants to scroll through like chestnut wood desk, walnut wood desk. You know, I'm like, no, just show exactly. me all the desks. Let me decide. <laughs> and there's just not that much of a difference. Because then if if they really insist on doing that, then you have to start getting a little bit creative and frankly silly and thinking of different reasons. Like, why would mm-hmm. someone want a chestnut desk as opposed to a walnut desk? And we see people right. who Times like in fashion, especially, where they'll be like, Well, this outfit means this kind of thing about you. And if you get the chestnut desk, well, that's the same kind of desk that whatever dead celebrity had, you know? <laughs> but it's really reaching. You know, George Washington had a chestnut desk. <laughs> I don't think that's true. It's probably not true at all. <laughs> uh, you could put it in there, I guess. That's how you, yeah, that is exactly how He's you. He's not going to complain. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the things I, I wanted to touch on too, and this is yeah. slightly different. Uh, you mentioned uh, on the that you do like writing and like ghost writing and editing books and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like, what is the process like for ghost writing? Like, in, let me give an example. Uh, sort of, <laughs> you have people that are interested maybe in being ghost writers. What is the benefit to ghost writing as opposed to just putting it out like as your own content? Mm. Is there you know what I mean? Like if you're able to write like a, a whole book for somebody, why not just put it out under your own name? So, yeah. I mean, the main reason it, I think is the money. People pay yeah. well for ghostwriting. And if you can do it, um, it's also a lot easier to do. It's so much easier to care about somebody else's book. Um, writing books, like it is a long project, even, even the shorter ones. It always takes mm-hmm. more than people think it will take. And so I think ghostwriting is a good outlet if you if you know you're going to write your own book, but the thought of doing that just now kind of makes you want to peel your face off. Um, <laughs> ghostwriting somebody else's book is a really good outlet for that. And it's also a good way okay. to, um, to, to learn the craft, you know, to really mm-hmm. uh, know the project of going through a book before you write your own. I mean, in my case, I wrote, I think, 11. Yeah, no, 12. I've either ghostwritten or, or been the developmental editor for 12 books now. And then I just now have my own first two books coming out. So uh, it's a it's a long runway. I also question about that too. Is like how does it work from a uh, like a credit standpoint? Like, do you receive any sort of credit in the book itself? Then I've always been curious. Uh, so people can like you can negotiate for different things. What I normally mm-hmm. do is um, someone will give me a shout out in maybe the acknowledgement section. If they really want to have me like as a, as a co-writer, it could be like, you know, written by whoever, blah, blah. And Rachel Allen. Um, If it's ghostwriting, I really don't care because like, I know I wrote the book and I can also prove um, based on, you know, Google docs and drafts and stuff that I have for any portfolio stuff. Uh, I do know some people though really want their name on that book. And Mm. For me, it's just never been that big of a thing. So like they gave me a nice shout out in the acknowledgements. Uh, everyone feels good. And that's it. Yeah. No, I didn't, I didn't mean it as a sense of like, oh, I, I want to make sure I take credit for writing this. Mm-hmm. I was just curious about like how it works. Because like I can see someone be like, oh, this is my new book I wrote or whatever. And I was curious, like, but did they write it? Like that sort of. Uh, yeah. 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 I think 
I think it's always good to question, particularly if someone comes out with a book very fast and particularly if it's a business book that's self-published on Amazon or KDP. Um, a lot of them are ghostwritten. And yeah, there's a, there's a whole sort of cottage industry of ghostwriters who churn this stuff out. So part of the question I had about this too then was like, let's say it's an industry you're not familiar with. Are you just having to do a ton of research to make sure you get all of it correct? Or are they providing you with information maybe both? Yeah, probably both. Um, The one that I've, so I wrote a, uh, or I ghost wrote a book for somebody who worked for an engineering firm and I don't know anything about engineering. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had to do some research, but I would also just ask him because, you know, it's his book and I I could add in all sorts of stuff that I read online about engineering, but Mm -hmm. um, it's not going to be filtered through his experience of what are 40 years of working as an engineer. So it's a lot of interviews. It's a lot of um, asking people questions and hearing, even in like, even if you know the information, you just want to hear how they say it. Cause sometimes it's just tweaks in their experience. Yeah. Yeah. I think the way that last point too, like uh, the way they say things mm-hmm. can be interesting as far as like, let's say you have somebody from, you know, like Louisiana or something, they have a different dialect than, you know, right. Like New York for example, like the way they might approach something, even if they're using the exact same terminology, the sort of uh, uh, the mood that they go about it or just, you know, the the sort of vibe that they give off towards different things could be completely different. You know, New York might be the exact, like I said, the exact same, you know, points they're making, but they might have be a bit more faster about, you know, the way they go about it, they, they might talk a little bit quicker, whereas, you know, Louisiana might be a little bit slower, more laid back, meandering, sort of a style of writing. I don't know if that's something, you know, you've taken into account or had to work with. Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah. Even with people in different countries, you know, their their mindset of how like a specific, you know, industry might work. Yeah, it is very, very different, even among, so I, I have a lot of clients in the UK and the way that they feel comfortable with their sales copy is very different than the way that my American clients feel about their sales mm-hmm. copy. So the British clients, it's it's much more reserved. It's um, very toned down. They want to be really, really careful about any statements they're making, whereas the American ones are often a lot more comfortable um, making bolder statements and having sort of louder copy, if that makes sense. And it's the exact same thing yeah. in books. Uh, it's people people approach things in different ways. Like you said, even if they're saying the same points, everybody has their own way of telling the story. Yeah. Like it could be, one could be more bombastic about it. Whereas the other one is much more reserved. Like you were saying, mm-hmm. I can see how that could be the case. Do you think that has to do with like, maybe not just the, the culture? Well, I guess it would be the culture. I know like the U S obviously we have, you know, like the first amendment, they're maybe less worried about, you know, getting flack or pushback, whereas they might be, more so over in the UK or in Europe or whatever like that. Yeah, I think there's that. And then it's also just like you said, the the cultural expectation. So if people mm-hmm. are used to seeing websites um, that have more, you know, the, the kind of more over the top copy, um, mm-hmm. then it's not going to feel out of place for them if they see another one. Whereas if you're in, in an industry or if you're in a country that's a little more chill, um, if you mm-hmm. come out with the, like, I am whoever, blah, blah. And I'm the best person in the industry who's ever done it. Then everybody's like, Oh, that's a little, 
little cringy. I don't know that we want to work with you. I see a lot of that with my British clients. um, And I have to sort of gently shepherd them to reach a middle ground because a lot of them can get very self-effacing and be like, you know, I'm good at this kind of, or not like, yeah, it's fine. Buy it or don't. And I'm like, no, you need to to ask them to buy it. That's the one thing we got to do. That makes sense. Yeah. That that's been a holdup for me has been like, like I said, I'm confident in what I do, but I'm very hesitant to ask people for money Mm. when I'm very, I'm also very willing to give stuff away for free. Mm -hmm. At least from my personal point of view, like with the, you know, Dedris Productions, it's a brand. On the business side of things, like working with clients, I'm very different where it's like, all right, this is how much this is going to be. And like, can we negotiate? And like, this is discounted. You're not getting anything. Yeah. More than that. <laughs> you know, it, putting my foot down. Whereas like with, you know, working with like small content creators and things like that, it's very different where I'm like, ah, I, I understand. Like they don't have a budget to work with, you know, mm-hmm. I'm like I, I don't want to be rude. I want to, my whole point is I want to help you and work with you but like, I can't do everything for free. And like, that's, that's my hold up a lot of times. Like how generous can I be with people? Yeah. And like at what point do I have to be realistic about it? Mm-hmm. So like, it's, it's weird having this, I feel two faced at times when it's like in the back of my mind, I'm like, I could put my foot down for all these people. Mm-hmm. But I, the whole point of it is helping people as well. So I don't know. It's a, yeah. it's a weird dynamic to have to work with. Well, it seems like it aligns with, I mean, it seems like it's a, it's a values alignment thing. You have the value of mm-hmm. helping people and yeah. you're still val. You, you also have the value of making money and it seems like you're balancing those out. Yeah. It, like I said, it's just, uh, part of it's because I realize I'm also not like this big, like Titan of an industry. Yeah. Very clearly. I'm one guy, you know, running a, a podcast that also does like marketing for small content creators while at the same time having a, a, a real job where I, I work with large clients and, you know, multiple different industries where I, I guess it's working with individuals as opposed to working with businesses mm-hmm. is, uh, is what the difference is. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think that's exactly right. And I think also knowing what people are, are asking to negotiate for, because we all know when you're working with like a bigger corporate department, they're like, well, can, can we talk about, can we massage those numbers? And I'm like, no, we have massaged them. They're very relaxed. That's all they're, that's yeah. all we got. And because I know that your department can afford it and afford more. Whereas mm-hmm. like you say, with the smaller, um, smaller companies or uh, solopreneurs, I'll be like, okay, tell like, let's talk about why, is there a genuine need here? Is there something else I can give you that might be a better fit? Like, how can we make this work for both of us? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I do think there are times when I come off as too stiff or like, uh, I, I give a little too much pushback and that's just because like, I've, like I said, I, I spent so long working for other people and just being mm-hmm. them expecting me to be pushed around that I've kind of overreacted at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Uh, or overcorrected rather and uh, there was there was one time in particular it was, it was a guy he ran a uh, like a metalworking business and he's like all right well we've gone back and forth for like a week or two at this point and i was just getting annoyed with it because i was like either go with it or don't like i'm thinking in the back of my mind please just yes or no yeah probably no at this point it's just been such a headache a lot of work yeah. <laughs> and uh i Finally, he's like, all right, you know what? Just just give me the numbers. We'll see what we can do. I'm like, all right, this is how much it is. He's like, 
And he, again, it's like two hours go by. I'm like, okay, whatever. Finally, he emails me back. And he's, and I'm like, all right, finally his answer. And he's like, what can we do to make this work? He's like, this seems like a lot. I'm like, what Never you can do again. <laughs> I emailed him back. I'm like, what we can do is you can give me more money or we can call this off. And, and he's, he's like, all right, fine. You know, we'll go with it. I'm like there. Thank God. Oh, <laughs> Just, I never, that kind of power playing I had, it's, it just boggles me. I was working, I was going to work with the company one time. Um, they, they needed a lot of content brought in and I was like, okay, great. We can do, you know, a deal because you, you have a large volume. I can do you a volume discount. And they were like, ah, well, you know, all we can pay is this. And they quoted something like slightly under what I would have done for the volume discount. And I was like, okay, well, I can do that if we have, you know, if we've got a time commitment here. So if we can do this for a number yeah. of months. And they were like, mm, you know, actually, we'd like to pay you even less. <laughs> I'm like, is this your first day here? Do you not understand how this works? Yeah, it it is interesting. Like, obviously, everyone is approaching it from every angle of uh, how do I get the best deal for myself? And it makes sense. That's the, that's how you run a business. You always want to get the best deal for yourself within reason. You don't want to like shortchange somebody and yeah. and not pay them what they're worth. Generally, obviously some people definitely don't mind doing that. Yeah. Uh, definitely run into those people. But I mean, I understand like, especially if it's, if it's just, a, if you're dealing with a middleman where they're not the one actually making the decision, they're just be like, this is what I'm told I can spend or whatever. Like, I get it. I don't want to give them a hard time. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm also just like, I'm not doing this out of the kindness of my heart. Like I'm doing this because this is my job and I like to make money and support my family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know, it's, it's a weird dynamic, especially like if you're self-employed where it's just, it's like, you need to understand that I can't afford to do this for free for you. <laughs> Yeah. Like it would be a delight if I had some magical yeah. patron come down and allow me to do that. But, you know, unfortunately that's just not the case. <laughs> yeah. It, I don't know. Like I said, there, there are times when I want to, there are definitely times when I want to tell people this isn't worth the hassle for me. No, thank you. I'm moving on. Yeah. But at the back of my mind, I'm like, this is, uh, this is money. Let's, let's get what we can. This is what we came here for. Yeah. It's going to be a, but then you got to weigh the like the balance of how much how much headache and how much time mm. is taking. For sure. Yeah, there are definitely times where I've I've just said like this is this is not worth it. It's not I'm not making enough money here to make it worth the hassle. Yeah. Uh, especially for if it's like a smaller thing where it's like I just need you to get my website up and running and get some basic SEO going for me. I'm like, you're fine finding somebody else. It. You're somebody else's problem now. Thank you for your time. Exactly. There are many other humans whose time you can waste. I I do not envy their scenario. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, no. And especially with the the people who are newer and you know, like I've had a couple of clients who have been very, very controlling at the beginning of marketing projects because it's their first one mm -hmm. and they don't know what's happening and they maybe have a lower tolerance for, for risk or for um, mm -hmm. lack of control. And they'll just nail it down to like, well, are you sure that comma belongs in that place on that LinkedIn post on this day at this time with it? I'm like, dude, you hired me because of my expertise. If you were going to write it all yourself, save the money. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's that. And then getting people who expect like magical results 
Mm. Uh, I know, especially when I was working in, in sales specifically of selling advertising, uh, I would, they always expect like I ran the ad and I didn't get people to buy anything. Mm-hmm. I was like, I, I'm like, I can get people in the door for you, but I can't force them to buy your product. Like it has to be able to sell itself at a certain point. Yeah. And uh, they took that as an insult. And I was like, <laughs> I'm sorry, but like, it's true. Like, I, yeah. I don't know what you want me to do. I can't, can't walk them in the door by the ear, pulling them in by the ear, like a grandmother or something. Right. Be like, all right, buy Burn this. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'll like, and you'll like it. Yeah. <laughs> it. It's, I don't know. Setting expectations is, is something I definitely picked up very quickly or I was like, I will get it in front of people. Like, like, especially like online marketing now, yeah. I was like, I can promise you, I'll get this in front of more people. Uh, but you have to be able to like promote yourself as well and sell your product mm-hmm. or whatever it is you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, like there's makeup numbers here, but it's like there's one person that went from like 200,000 views a week and I got them up to like 1.2 million. Oh, wow. And they're like, yeah, people are stopping by, but like we're still not selling anything. I was like, <laughs> I'm like, I'll be honest with you. It seems like you're like three times more expensive than everyone else. It's probably part of the problem. Yeah. And they're like, oh, it just, you know, we don't really know how to price it. I'm like, like, this is a situation in which you can look at your competition and ballpark it and see what yeah. happens. Yeah. Or just experiment with it. Like, there's so many yeah. different ways you can work around that. Yeah. They were, a, they were a furniture company as well. And uh, I was like, it's like, listen, like, your closest competitor, they're making basically the exact same product. And you're coming, like, Again, I'll make up numbers. I'm like, they're selling it for twelve hundred dollars. You're coming in at five thousand. There's a problem here. This like the pricing is definitely the problem. <laughs> yeah, like unless you unless we can show why it is that much better, like there is no mm-hmm. reason to be charging that much more than your competition. And there are situations like that too, where it's like, okay, you are better than like the competition, but they're succeeding because they're you know, their branding is just better. Like. Mm-hmm they're selling themselves better. Yeah. You know, you need to push the fact that you're made in the USA or whatever you're, you're handmade, whatever it is you need to do, like emphasize your strengths. Maybe all of their stuff is, you know, cheap imported wood mm-hmm. and yours is like handcrafted or whatever, or, or like locally harvested, whatever, you know, speak you want to put like yeah. emphasize the things that actually make you better or more marketable to your target audience. It's, I don't know. It, it's, been interesting but i enjoy working with people mm. uh, based on, i'm i'm sure you do as well you probably wouldn't be dealing with people every day <laughs> but it yeah no, it is really lovely um you know it has its ups and downs like like you're talking about but just mm-hmm. being able to help people um in that way is really cool and especially the small people where you're like you know it really does make a, a big difference to them if their product starts selling or you know we sell out their course or whatever like it's it's a big deal and it's really cool to see that happen for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's I like I said, especially with the podcast in particular here, being able to talk to a new, basically a new person every single week is, uh, is so exciting to me. Like I, I've learned so much doing the show. Oh, I've, I've gotten to talk to so many people in like industries that I'm like so excited about like film, like filmmaking, like talking to like film producers, owners of production companies and stuff. I'm like, oh, here we go. This is going to be a good episode. This is exciting. 
and uh like like even when like when i knew you were going to come on here i was like this is cool this is somebody that also works in like you know sort of like a marketing sense as well like that you know copywriting side of things and and uh, you know i saw the ghostwriting i was like i'm curious about that and how that works and just having on so many unique interesting people has, has been a real joy to be able to do this and i'm yeah. happy it's been going on for so long so it it blocking out segments of my my week uh, and you know into my schedule this is like one of those things where i'm like i don't even care it's not even a i don't even view it as like working which is yeah. nice uh no i totally feel you yeah and like i don't know for me just being able to learn about so many different industries and people like you said i've i've mm-hmm. worked for people i mean luxury chocolatiers in in cyprus to probiotic companies to dog trainers to like anything and just being able to dive deep into all of those industries and be like, okay, like what, what's your deal? Why is your accounting firm different than everybody else's? Or like, what's the deal with this probiotic? Like, talk to me about the bacteria. Is it really all that different? And then getting to learn all the details about that is so cool to me. Yeah. It, like I said, not only like learning all the new things and meeting the new people, but it, uh, there are times when I've been like wildly surprised as well, mm-hmm. where I, I wasn't worried about people coming on thinking like, Oh, this isn't going to work very well. Mm-hmm. I, if, if I thought it wasn't going to work out, I wouldn't invite them on. Yeah. Uh, not to be rude to them, but just, I was like, I don't want to waste yeah, either of our time here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's like, but there are times when I've been like, we'll see what happens. I don't know what to expect. And it's been like a pleasant surprise. Or I'm like, this is even better than I thought it was going to be <laughs> and, like stuff like that is, is, is fantastic. So it makes it worth it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I I actually I covered everything I wanted to bring up. I don't know if you had anything in particular you wanted to touch on before we wrap up here. No, you know I think uh, we've had a, a wide ranging conversation and talked about a lot of cool stuff. So I feel good. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you again so much for coming on. Where can people go to check out all of your stuff? Yeah, my pleasure. Um, I am easy to find on the internet, so you can go to my website, which is boltfromthebluecopywriting.com. I'm also on Instagram at boltfromthebluecopywriting, Facebook, same thing. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn as Rachel Allen. And oh, yeah, you can also just send me an email. So Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L, at boltfromthebluecopywriting.com. And a real live person, which is me, will email you back. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, and all the links will be in the description. Uh, thank you to Liquid IV and Zenkhauser for sponsoring the episode. You can go check out deadjustproductions.lat. Got links to all of our stuff on there. Uh, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Thank you so much, Rachel, for coming on. I had a great time chatting. My pleasure. Me too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you all next time.